Hello and welcome. We've got open ears, curious minds and a rocket that is ready to go. Must be time for a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. Thank you for listening, for following and finding us. This is the smartest show in the universe. Our mission for the next uh, 30 minutes or so is to travel right the way around the galaxy looking up the genius science that is lurking all over the place. This week, we'll chat to the body expert Joshua Pate all about pain and why you get hurt when you fall over. Um, And if there's a need for safety, like protection... Pain is probably one of our better options, right? Um, It makes us stop and it makes us get attention. Um, It's a great way of kind of looking after us when we're in danger. Also, Technomum is back, taking us through the science behind sports gadgets. Today, it's all about those watches you can wear that know everything about you. My watch is still counting my steps. It's amazing how this little thing on my wrist knows exactly what I'm doing. Yep, smart watches are pretty clever. Some can even tell if you're swimming, or riding a bike, or doing yoga. But how? And I've got your questions to answer as always this week. They are on screens and sleep and volcanoes erupting. It's all on the way in our brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's start this week's scan of the solar system with your science in the news. Researchers from the University of Reading in the UK are chasing cyclones over the Arctic. The scientists are getting ready to fly a small plane at low level over sea ice around Norway to try and spot storms. They're doing this to see where the ice is being blown and how it's all being lost. Now, this is very important to track all levels of climate change. Now, it's been quite hot here in the UK, but it's good to realise how this weather is affecting the North and South Pole. And by noticing this, they can spot how the ice might melt and the sea levels might rise. Also, supermarket shoppers could soon see the environmental impact of food before buying it. Scientists have used a massive public database full of information to figure out what the impact on the planet is from you, say, eating bananas from the Caribbean or fish from Australia. They can put it on the packaging so you can see what emissions are caused by the food that you're eating. Now, I think this is really good to get people thinking about their carbon footprint, but it might be a bit of trouble if you're getting too much information when you're buying food. A lot of stuff, it might confuse you. So they need to think about how they're laying it out. And finally this week, this is brilliant, cats in a German town are allowed out for the first time in three months. They've been in lockdown. Remember that. They've been kept inside to protect an endangered bird. But now the lockdown to save the crested lark has ended, so cats in the town of Waldorf in Germany can roam free. Now, this is a brilliant idea to try and save the bird, but I can't help but feel that cats kept inside have had a bad time of it. Uh, I know my cat being locked inside would be scratching all over me, so I'm very pleased they get to run around and be wild again. It's time to catch up with Professor Hallux now. Uh, He is one of our favourite geniuses on the show because he knows everything about your body. He's done series looking inside your ears, up your nose, your knees, your ankle and your lungs and your heart. Today, he's opening your mouth very wide, talking about teeth, because it's Professor Hallux's uncle, Halitosis's 100th birthday. And in his honour... He has created a digital help desk to figure out everything that might happen in your mouth. He's answering as many questions as he can. 
Today, Halex is looking at fluoride. Professor Halex's Digital Dental Depository, with support from Philips Sonicare. <laughs> to honour great uncle halitosis, dentist extraordinaire, on the occasion of his 100th birthday, Professor Halex is creating a pop-up digital dental depository, an oral health help desk. He's going to see how many questions all about teeth he can answer against the clock. I think the turbine's nearly up to speed. Fun facts about fluoride today, Nurse Nanobot. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's crack on with the first question. What is fluoride? Fluoride is a chemical compound, an inorganic, monatomic anion of the element fluorine. Sorry, Prof. You'll have to make it a bit simpler than that. OK, fluoride is a natural mineral which is really good for your teeth. It's naturally found in many foods and in the water we get from our taps. Hmm, is fluoride added to our tap water? Well, fluoride has been proven to have massive benefits to dental health and to significantly reduce tooth decay. But as the natural level of fluoride in our water varies across the country, it's added in some areas. Impressive! So, how does fluoride help to keep the teeth healthy? Fluoride strengthens the tooth enamel, making it more resistant to tooth decay. It also reduces the amount of acid that the bacteria on your teeth produce. So, how come you can't taste it in the water? The amount of fluoride in water is very small. If your water does have a taste, it's more likely to be from natural minerals. Things like calcium, magnesium, potassium, or a number of other minerals depending on its source. Right, time for a true or false. All toothpastes contain fluoride. That's true. Ah, OK, it's false. There are a wide variety of toothpastes available, but not all contain fluoride. That's why you should check that yours does, in an appropriate amount for your age. We're racing towards the finish. Another true or false. You should always rinse your mouth after cleaning your teeth. False. Here's what you should be doing. Get a good fluoride toothpaste. Use a pea-sized portion to thoroughly brush your teeth. An electric toothbrush can be especially effective. But don't rinse your mouth. You'll only be rinsing away the fluoride, so it won't be able to do its job keeping your gnashes in top nick. And don't swallow your toothpaste. While it's not harmful, too much of a good thing is not great. And your stomach doesn't need a good clean. That's correct. And time's up. Brilliant, Professor. Very respectable score there. And lots of data for our digital dental depository. Professor Halix's Digital Dental Depository. With support from Philip Sonicare. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash Halux. Let's get to your questions then. If there is anything sciencey that you want answered on this show, you need to let me know. Lucy in Scotland has done that. She is 10. She has left this as a review on Apple Podcasts. She wants to know, if you're on a screen in bed, why does it make it harder to sleep afterwards? Well, there's a few different ideas about this, Lucy. Some scientists think it's to do with the blue light. You heard of this before? The blue lights that your screens give off, they give off quite a lot of it when you're scrolling. It stimulates the part of your brain that makes melatonin. Now, melatonin is a hormone, a chemical that controls your sleep cycle. It tells you when to wake up and when to go to bed. 
Now, if it's being stimulated by your phone, then it's throwing it all out of control. So you're not sure if it's time to sleep yet. But many phones you might have seen on yours have a blue light filter, which should stop this. But you still can't fall asleep. Other experts think that it's simply just because you're switched on, you're concentrating on something, and after flicking through pages, after scrolling, it wakes your brain up. So it takes time to switch off again. Thank you for the question, Lucy. Another brilliant way that you can send a question in and be a star of the show is by getting to funkidslive.com and leaving your question as a voice note, just like Claudia, who is in South Carolina. Hello, my name is Claudia. I'm five years old. And my question is, why volcanoes erupt? Thank you, Claudia. Lovely to hear from you. Well, volcanoes erupt, but they're made of two tectonic plates, or maybe more than two, parts of the Earth that fit together, that slide into place like a jigsaw puzzle. Now, they crash into each other, they push upwards, and these plates move high in the sky because they're driven together. That's what makes the volcanoes. They make a lot of pressure as well. A huge amount of force is there as they grind into each other, which makes a lot of heat. Now, the rocks down beneath them in the tectonic plates, with all that pressure, are exposed to a really high temperature. The heat melts the rock, which turns it into magma. Now, when there's a lot of magma down there and it's boiling and baking, it makes so much pressure... It has to go up. It has to go out. It's forced upwards out of the volcano, which makes it erupt. Now, when magma is actually out of the volcano, when it's on the earth, you call it lava. That's the difference. Thank you, Claudia uh, from South Carolina. If there is a question that you would like answered on this show, you need to be like Claudia, record it for me, and then send it as a voice note to funkidslive.com. I'm James Stewart. And in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. (laughs) This is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, this week, we're talking all about pain. What happens? You know, you know, when you fall over, maybe you scrape your knee, but in that second, it feels like there are a million fires, a billion termites nibbling away at your skin. What's actually going on there? We'll find out with brilliant science expert and author of the Zoe and Zach's Pain Hacks series, Dr. Joshua W. Pate joins us from Australia. Good day. Hi, how are you? Very well. I'm delighted to be uh, speaking to you on the other side of the world at the end of my day. So I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to chat all yeah, about pain. Just, just to start with, Josh, what got you like excited about learning about pain? There are so many different forms of science you can be interested in. Why pain? Mm, yeah, I think it was the human brain just being so incredible like the the way that it's so complicated um and i think once i heard about the the plasticity like the changeability of the brain and how we adapt and and can kind of modify the way we respond to things that's what's so exciting about pain i think so let's start at the very beginning what is pain what's going on why when i fall over does it really hurt even though it might not be life ending at that point what's going on between my knee and my brain why am i hurting 
Yeah. Wow. That's lots of questions in one. I think so if we maybe break it down and imagine in slow motion what's going on. So as your knee touches the ground, um, it's kind of like your knees making a, a phone call up to your brain and saying something's touched it. And so a message goes through your nerve and then up your spine, up to your brain. Um, so there's a touch message. There's a danger message. Your eyes can see maybe there's some blood or something like that on your knee. Um, so your brain's getting lots of messages and it has to weigh up how much threat there really is. Like how dangerous is it? What What's the best response here? Um, and if there's a need for safety, like protection, pain is probably one of our better options, right? Um, it makes us stop and it makes us get a ch- attention. Um, it's a great way of kind of looking after us when we're in danger. And so in a situation like falling over and hurting your knee, the pain there is actually really nice and really helpful, isn't it? And um yeah, it's a different story, I suppose, when pain lasts for a long time. But um, it, it's that un—it's that that feeling that something is wrong and something needs to be kept safe is kind of how I would sum up what pain is. And why are there different levels of pain? Something can hurt immediately. You get a sharp shooting pain, but then it might go away. But other times you get like a a red hot flare which could stay for you for an hour. If your brain knows that something's wrong, why does it keep need to being told that over time? Yeah, great question. And and we used to think, like scientists used to think that pain would be in proportion to the amount of damage in the body. So if you cut your knee open more, you would feel more pain. Um, but we know that that's not true. And it's there's so many things influencing the volume of our pain experiences that can turn the volume up or turn the volume down. So if you were to put your hand in a, a cup of cold ice water right now, um, and you rated how much pain you were feeling. And then if you were to do that again in half an hour or so, but and did that again, but you were staring at it um, and then rated how much pain you were feeling. And then in another half an hour, you did it again. And this time you were listening to your favorite song and maybe you were watching TV at the same time and not paying any attention to it. You would and rated your pain. You would have probably three different scores um, out of 10, say, um, rating how much pain you felt. And it's the same amount of damage or same amount of danger that your your hand's in, um, but it depends on what we're kind of paying attention to is one variable, but even our memories have an impact. Um, there's lots of, so many different variables that are occurring, even on that simple example of falling over and hurting your knee. If you've seen other people do that and they're fine, then maybe your expectation is you'll be okay too. And, and so the pain will go away, even though you've still got a scratch left on your knee. Um, but then there's other times where the pain's hanging around for months or years, way longer than the, the tissues are, are kind of all better in your body. Like you may have gone and got a scan and everything looks good. The doctor said everything's fine, but there's still this pain. And, and it's kind of like our brains are kind of super protective. They're overprotecting us. Um, and that's where this cool thing about the brain is that we can, we can change the way our nervous system responds to different stimuli, so different um, things happening to us. So if it's a message to your brain, why do we need that message? Is it telling us, oh, hang on, make sure you don't do that again? Or is it telling us we need to send some blood there to try and fix the damage that we've done? 
Yeah, so I think so pain isn't coming from the knee. There's danger messages coming from the knee. And I think that's really important because otherwise we start blaming the sore bit as being the problem area. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's more complicated than that. Um, and that's where it's good to see a health professional to, to check up and make sure everything's okay. But um, it yeah, it, it, the, there's a danger message coming from that body part saying, we probably need to keep an eye out for this. And then the brain has to evaluate and work out, do we? Like, what is the best course of action here? Should we keep it safe or should we just not worry about it? And so for people listening, maybe you've woken up one day and you've realized you have all these bruise, a bruise on your shin or something like that. It's like a surprise bruise. So your body's been damaged, but you didn't even know about it. Um, and then there's opposite examples where something really, really hurts, like maybe a paper cut. So there's a tiny little bit about tiny little bit of damage, but then it hurts a lot. <laughs> um, and so the the way that um, we think it's not in terms of how much damage there is, but more about how much potential danger there is. Um, and if you think about danger, you can kind of change that. Like if you're sitting with your friends or your family things feel safer and more comfortable. And, and so that's often a nice place to be um, if you're feeling these horrible feelings of pain for a long time. There are quite a lot of different reactions to pain. <clears throat> if I fall over, I might yell out loud, maybe. Some, some people cry when they're in pain. What's the connection there? Why do we need this sudden rush to get it all out? Why are we weeping sometimes when we're hurt? Yeah, I think it's different for everyone. Um, and I like the example that you gave of falling over on, and hurting your knee, I think you would cry out, ouch. And, and I, I think it's about getting someone to come and help. Um, and it probably worked when you're a baby. Like I, I have a, we have a little baby at the moment and, and when he cries, you, you want to go and help. And it's an effective way of getting that. And so I think we just learn over time. This is a really good way of, of making sure that things are okay. I can get someone to come and check it. Um, and if you think about that, maybe that's probably true we, in terms of adults, like you see them, they maybe don't cry as much um, about falling over or, or something like that. Now, if pain is uh, like old school human hard wiring, um, if it maybe helped keep us safe back when we were cave people and stuff, do we know anything? And this might be a bit time travel for you, Josh. Do we know anything about whether our feelings towards pain has changed as we've evolved? Oh, good question. I, I can speak for the last 20 years or so. <laughs> um, and I think the understanding of pain has changed quite significantly there. So um, there was an interesting study about um, sham or placebo surgeries, um, and there's been several of them. And in my head, if you fix the part of the body that's broken, like say one of the ligaments in, um, in your shoulder – that would fix the the pain, um, but what we what we've seen in a really really high quality study, they for half of the people they did a fake surgery. So these people signed up and agreed to fifty fifty chance of having the real surgery or the fake surgery, um, and so the surgeon would open both groups up and and it. And in one group, they did the operation and now this, they didn't. And and the outcomes at one year were the same. Like at one year later, they both were just as better as they kind of could have been. Um, and then the other, there was another group who didn't have any surgery and saw a physiotherapist. And, and that group did better than both of the surgical groups. And so 
there's this real shift in thinking away from what we call like biological understanding of pain. And now there's a, a kind of a push towards the biopsychosocial model um, or framework of thinking. So there's not just the biological, there's the psychological, which is kind of the way we think and believe things. Um, but then there's the social as well. So where we've grown up, our experience, our socioeconomic status, what school we go to, um, our family support, our friend network, which access to hospitals we have, all of these different things are going to impact on every little experience we have. Um, and this is true from vaccination pain right through to chronic pain and all sorts of different conditions. Um, all of these different variables are influencing our every experience. And I think 20 or 30 years ago, it was kind of just starting to be tested, some of these ideas. And now it's becoming more obvious, I suppose, that, that this is the case, that pain is really complicated all the time. But sometimes it, it appears like it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> well, you're talking about it being complicated because it is. You know, if we fall and hurt our knee, you're getting that warning of danger. Whereas I know some people, maybe you listening right now, you, you, you have this pain that's with you all the time or, or someone in your family does. And you mentioned chronic pain there. And these are like can be very serious conditions with our immune system almost attacking itself. Why do we get chronic pain and how much do we understand about that right now? Yeah, I, I would say it's still in the early days of scientific research and um, but it's a really uh, fascinating thing to think about, this, this feeling of pain that continues despite the body part that, that saw, <laughs> despite that body part kind of being better. Um, so like a bone would take, say, six weeks to get better, but then it's still hurting months later. Um, why is that? And, and the best kind of understanding we have is that our brains are, are making a, a prediction. They're trying to work out, are we safe or not? And it's asking the spine all the time. And then the spinal cord is always asking the nerves, are we safe or not? And, and then the nerves are working out what's around us. And there's all these kind of predictive levels of, of working out how dangerous are things. Um, and so what can happen, this is where it gets a little bit complicated, is that we, we can overprotect um, and so you might have heard of the word like sensitivity, um, maybe like, do you know how some people don't like the taste of something and other people are completely fine? It's that same sort of thing where these danger messages, it's like the volume has been turned right up on those messages. Um, so maybe like if you, the last 10,000 times you tied up your shoes, if it hurt, then the 10,000 first time you do it. Is it going to hurt? Like maybe you've sensitized towards that movement. And, and what we see in um, different rehabilitation settings is when people change the way that they do something or, or try it in a different way or with a different mindset or they learn like breathing strategies or lots of different things. And it's often lots of strategies at the same time rather than just one thing. Um, when they do all of these different things, they notice that their experience changes too. So it's not just about distracting or it's not saying it's all in your head. Um, it's so complicated, as you said, and and it's happening at lots of different levels. Like um, there's genetic researchers who are showing that in chronic pain, even our genes are changing. So there's it's called epigenetic changes happening. Um, so there's it's not like there's ever going to be a magic pill to fix chronic pain because there's there's changes happening all through every system in the body. 
Um, and so to reverse those changes, it takes some time. Um, so it's a it's a hard message to hear in a lot of ways, um, but there is hope, and and that's the exciting part for researchers and clinicians like myself. Amazing, Josh! It's been a real treat, uh, Dr. Joshua W. Pay. His books are Zoe and Zach's Pain Hacks. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Thanks, Dan. It was great. For this week's Dangerous Dan, where we look at some of the most mean and cruel and deadly things in the universe, we are headed back to ancient Egypt to take a look at the pyramids. Now, the pyramids could be an extremely dangerous place today. There are more than 100 pyramids in Egypt. They were built over 4,000 years ago, most of them. You've got the Great Pyramid of Giza that you might have seen, which peaks over the famous Sphinx. They are hundreds of metres tall. There are also pyramids in Mexico and South America built by the Incas and Aztecs. This week, it's all about the ancient Egyptians. They were built to be the resting places and the tombs of the great leaders of the day, the pharaohs. Mummies are kept in there, in special burial chambers that have laid there for thousands of years. Now, we don't exactly know what's in quite a lot of them. There might be jewels... There might be crowns. There might be diseases that have been stored in there for thousands and thousands of years. There are old, long chambers and corridors, perfect for any explorer to maybe fall down like a booby trap. Now, this is a brilliant story. A hundred years ago, some explorers found the tomb of Tutankhamun. The man who paid for this adventure, Lord Carnarvon, sadly died shortly after. And they say that when he died, all the lights went out in the Egyptian city he was in. Howard Carter was the man who found the tomb, and get this, his pet canary was eaten by a cobra shortly after, and Lord Carnarvon, remember him, his dog died that same night. Now, it could be a coincidence, but many people say it's the curse of the pharaohs of Tutankhamun himself. So the pyramids are dangerous, not just because of the possible booby traps, not just because of the potential for ancient germs, but maybe even a curse. Surely that deserves a place on our Dangerous stand list. It's time to catch up with Techno Mum now. She's one of our favourite gadget geniuses on the show, an absolute guru of everything technological. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at sports that you might play through the summer and how tech can help and change how you play. This week, it's all about stuff that you can wear, watches that seem to know everything about you. Techno Mum's Sport Technology. Sam's excited about the summer of sport, and he's finding out how technology and sport are linked. He's inspired to get fitter, and so he's gone for a jog with Mum and his fitness watch. 998, 199. Oh, that's 1,000 steps. Only another 9,000 to go. Can we take a break? I'm out of breath. Sure. There's some balance bars in the park. Let's give them a try while we cool down. You first. (laughs) My watch is still counting my steps. It's amazing how this little thing on my wrist knows exactly what I'm doing. Yep, smart watches are pretty clever. Some can even tell if you're swimming, or riding a bike, or doing yoga. But how? It's down to something called an accelerometer. They're tiny devices that can detect the direction of movement by sensing changes in gravity. They convert that movement into digital information that's translated into steps and other measurements. It's a bit like you balancing on that bar. 
Your brain is collecting information from your eyes and senses to give your muscles the instructions to stay on track. Your turn. My watch counts calories too. It says I've used 128 calories so far today. How on earth does it know how many my body's burned? It's only sitting on my wrist. That's a combination of the technology in the device and information we already know about how our bodies use energy. All human bodies use a basic amount of calories or energy at rest. This is called the basal metabolic rate. Scientists have studied millions of people to work out what that rate usually is. It will differ depending on your gender, age, height and weight, but it's a variable we can look up. I put that information into the app when I set it up, didn't I? That's how it knows. It looks it up. I'm guessing it uses the information about how much I've moved to work out what the difference is. You've got it. Again, there's lots of data to show how much energy is used when using different types of movement. Your watch is just putting it all together. Right, should we go for another few thousand steps? I'll race you home. Mm, Heart rate is 79. That's not bad after a 20 minute run. Keeping an eye on our heart rate can help us to stay healthy and get fitter. Your heart beats faster when you're exercising, but it's important that it returns to normal when you're at rest. By counting our pulses, our fitness watches help us see how hard our hearts are working. A high heart rate can mean you're burning more calories. So the watch can pull that data into the calorie counter too? Exactly. Come on, looks like the long jump on TV. Have a look at that athlete. See how hard they come down into the sand. Imagine how many jumps she'd have to do in her training sessions. A lot. The thing is fitness watches, or wearables as they're sometimes called, aren't just handy to give us basic fitness information. They're really important for the athletes and their coaches and training. They can count the amount of jumps an athlete has done in a session and calculate the force on their feet and body. And by using both existing data and data from the watch, a coach can work out what's a safe amount of impact for any one session, helping athletes avoid injury. And remember, the harder you work your heart in training, the more you'll experience fatigue. Tell me about it. Oh, I need a rest. And that's something else that apps and wearables can monitor. They can measure how much sleep we're getting, all of which helps to work out a way to get the best results, whilst remaining safe and healthy. Well, I don't need an app to tell me. I am knackered. I'm feeling it too. Cup of tea. And a biscuit. Come on, I've burned 150 calories according to my watch. Techno Mums Sport Technology is created with support from the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash technomum. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much to listening. If you would like to star on the show, just like Claudia from earlier on, uh, you can do that. If there is a question that you want answered, get to funkidslive.com. Make sure you record it as a voice note. It's really easy to do on your phone. You can borrow your mum or dad's, whatever it is. You can send it to us on that Fun Kids website or on the free Fun Kids app, and it will come right through to me. So I can do the digging, I can research and find out the answer for you. Now, if you've enjoyed this show, we've got loads more podcasts that you can hear on Google, Apple, Spotify, uh, on the free Fun Kids app. However you found this one, you can find loads more from us. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio, over at funkidslive.com and on the free Fun Kids app. I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. (laughs) This is Saving Planet Earth. 
Available wherever you get your podcasts.